Hey, good morning. I'm uh, Dan Douglas, one of the uh, elders here at Bethel Church. It's great to see you all. I'm excited to be here today to talk about two things that are important to me. The first is the gospel, and the second is work. Many of you have met my kids, um, or at least seen them around church, and uh, you know that they likely keep me humbled on a, uh, on a daily basis. Um, I was out driving with one of them the other day, and I looked over and said, hey, the church has asked me to speak on work and the gospel. And they, in the most innocent and genuine way possible, looked at me and said, the church thinks you're good at this? Um, yeah. So let me say at the outset, they know and I know I'm human. Um, they see it every day. I see it every day. I feel it. I put my trust fully in Christ. I follow him to the best of my ability, but I'm not perfect. I'm on a sanctification path just like the rest of you are here today. And I'm preaching to myself first. Um, as I prepared this, I have really, it's been a great reminder and a valuable, timely um, reminder to me that I need Jesus as I work. Um, I'm moving into a new job here at uh, it, where I work, and it's just been a great reset for me to make sure that I'm focused on the right things. These topics aren't only important for me, but they're important for all of us, given the sheer number of hours that we're going to work here in, uh, in our Christian lives. Alan said it before, 90,000 hours. Can you imagine? We, we often don't step back and think about that, but 90,000 hours across our, uh, our lives, um, we're going to be working I pray that the next 20 minutes that we're going to spend here together enriches the thousands of hours that most of you likely have left in uh, your vocational life as, uh, as we live out our Christian lives um, as we go forward. So let me start with a story. Um, in 1666, a fire took out all of um, basically the city of London, and Sir Christopher Wren was a... Uh, he was a famous architect, and he was commissioned to rebuild St. Paul's Cathedral. If you've ever seen St. Paul's Cathedral, it's an incredible building, and uh, it was really, uh, really a massive undertaking. As he was walking through the job site one day, he saw three bricklayers. He came to the first bricklayer and said, what are you doing? And that bricklayer looked at him and said, I'm cutting stone to a specific shape and size to put in the wall here. That bricklayer was simply doing a task. He went to the second bricklayer and he said, what are you doing? And that bricklayer, while he was working hard, he said, I'm working hard to build this wall so I can feed my family. This bricklayer was simply earning a wage or earning a living. The third bricklayer, Probably the most productive of the three, as uh, Sir Christopher Wren was looking at him, looked at, uh, when Christopher Wren looked at him and said, what are you doing? That bricklayer looked at him with a gleam in his eye, and he said, I am building a cathedral. I'm working alongside Sir Christopher Wren to build a cathedral for the Lord God Almighty. Pretty powerful when you think about it. Three different perspectives, all doing the exact same task. Bricklaying. But one was doing an activity. One was earning a living. The third 
was doing something for the glory of God. He was building a cathedral for the glory of God. Where are you at when you wake up in the morning, you're getting ready for work? Are you going to an activity? Are you going to earn a wage? Are you going to build a cathedral for the glory of God? My guess is you're in one of those three buckets. I'm in one of those three buckets. I vacillate between those three buckets as I go through the week. But I want you to think about that. Where are you at? So as we walk through today, I want to talk about how the gospel changes our purpose and heart in vocation. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a roadmap of where we're headed. First, we need to have a firm understanding of the gospel. It's the star of our story and our relationship with God. Without the gospel, we're simply doing a task or making a living. It's a reminder that we are not our own. If we have put our trust in Jesus, we now have a hope that changes our perspective on our vocations. Next, we're going to define what a vocation is. It's not a word we use often, and we often do it very narrowly, and we do it in a very self-centered way. I want our view of vocation to be something that we look at through a biblical lens that celebrates God's design and purpose for our work. Once we know what vocation is through a biblical lens, what the gospel is, and how it truly impacts every part of our lives, I want to answer two questions. How does the gospel impact the purpose of our vocations? And then I want to answer the question, how does the gospel impact the heart, our heart, and our vocations? So we're going to talk about the gospel, we're going to talk about vocations, and then we're going to talk about the intersection of those two. How does the gospel change the purpose of our vocation, and how does it change our heart when we're in that vocation? Are you guys with me? All right, let's do this. Um, If you can open your Bibles to Titus 3, 4 through 7. I'm going to read it here together. Just can probably turn there quicker than I can. Four through seven. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Father appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. So what do we see here about God? First, we see that he is good. Second, we see that he's kind. We see that he's merciful. We get a glimpse of the greatness of God here. But we don't ever want to simply rely on two to three verses to draw a complete picture of who God is. God is so much bigger than this. As we read scriptures holistically, we see that he is holy and without sin, and therefore he can't tolerate sin. He is also the master designer and creator of this earth. He had a design that we would have a relationship with him, but that design was broken. We feel this brokenness day by day, minute by minute. Something isn't right. This brokenness is sin, Sin turns us back in on ourselves. It focuses us in what we believe is our highest benefit, but it isn't. 
you see the design that God had envisioned was a relationship that we walk with him daily in an intimate relationship. Go back to Genesis and the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve walked through it on a daily basis with the one who created it. That was what he wanted. But God knew that sin would create a separation. We walk on our own paths in this now cursed and broken earth. We see glimpses of God's glory that he intended for us to enjoy and intended for, us to, for them to point us to him. But they're broken. We are broken. While we don't typically articulate it this way, we know something isn't right. We're longing for something more and something better. We don't have any way to fix this brokenness on our own. We all try in one way or another, but there's, there's only one solution. Let's look back at verse 5 of uh, Titus 3. It starts with, he saved us. Jesus saved us, not because of our trying, not because of our good works. You can't be good enough. God is perfectly holy, and that's the standard that he holds us to. We can't attain it. We can't attain God's level of holiness. We must receive his mercy, which he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He lived a perfect life, paying the price for our sins and solving the brokenness of our relationship with God. When we confess our sins and trust in Christ as our Savior, we now have a hope, a hope and a peace that surpasses all understanding. We are now heirs in the kingdom of God with an eternal hope that overcomes the weight and cares of today and this world. We no longer get lost in the moment, the crisis of the day. We have an eternal perspective. We are building a cathedral for the glory of God. So that's the gospel, a holy God, a broken, the brokenness of sin, a rescuing Savior in Jesus, an eternal hope through our, through our faith in him. How sweet it, the gospel is. His perfection for our sin, an eternal hope that we can rest in. And one of the results of salvation for us is that now our work is done with a view towards his pleasure. God takes pleasure in our work. Let me say that again. God takes pleasure in our work. So now that we know what the gospel is, let's talk about what is a vocation. It's no accident that in the next verse in Titus 3, it says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. Paul is talking to Titus. Titus has been at the church in Crete. Paul started this church, and he's trying to teach um, Titus, how to lead the Christians in Crete. He wants them to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. If you believed in God, be careful to devote yourself to good works. If the gospel has changed you as described in the previous verses, devote yourself to good works. It's not to save us, but it's as a result of our faith. Again, we can't earn our relationship with God. But our good works should reflect our relationship with God. We might ask the question, what are good works? Fortunately, Paul answers that for Titus and for us in the next sentence. Good works are excellent and profitable for people. It's almost like we are extension of God's work here on earth. 
Some of you would say, you mean sacred work, right, Dan? Pastors, missionaries, Christian school teachers. He not, he's not interested in my job on the police force, driving a truck in the hospital, right? He's not interested in those. Wrong. He is absolutely interested in those. God is sovereign over our lives and our gifts and our circumstances. He individually calls us in to our various vocations. Our vocations are callings on us individually. I work in finance at NIPSCO, um, and I know NIPSCO probably conjures up different views for each one of you, but uh, I believe that God has called me to this role so that I can efficiently manage the resources to reliably and safely provide lighting, heating, cooling, cooking, and energy to, uh, to each of you and to customers across Indiana. I'm a small part of a much larger mission that is focused on each of you and your neighbors. I've had the opportunity to love and develop employees, opportunities to share my faith with others along the way. I can see God's leading in it all. How sad it would be if I was simply running numbers or just earning a living. I do it, however imperfectly, for God's glory and the excellence and profit of people. So I would encourage you to think broader about your vocation. Are you helping to bring justice to society as a police officer? That is excellent and profitable for people. Are you working at a grocery store or a restaurant? That helps feed people. That can be excellent and profitable for people. Think about your job. How is it excellent and profitable for your neighbors? How are you caring for your neighbor in your job? How are you bringing God's glory to your vocation? Remember that the practice of good works is always, or at least it always should be, the logical outcome of a true understanding of the grace of God. Many of you have likely heard of Tim Keller. I've been enjoying Tim Keller's book. I've got it up here with me today. Every good work, connecting God's work, your work to God's work. You're going to find influences from that book really throughout what I'm talking about today. Keller summarizes the term vocation as follows. It's really from the Latin word vocare. If I mispronounced it, my daughter's in Latin too at high school. I probably didn't get it quite right, but that word in Latin vocare means to call. It's our root word of the common word vocation. Today, the word vocation simply means a job. Could be like the first or second bricklayer, doing a task or making a living. But that was not God's purpose. Keller said, a job is a vocation only if someone else calls you to do it. And you do it for them rather than for yourselves. And so our work can be a calling only if it is reimagined as a mission of service or something beyond merely our own interest. I wish I had more time this morning to talk about the beautiful diversity and value of each one of our callings. Regardless of your perspective, of your vocation's value, or the value of someone else's vocation, it is a calling from God. Think about the bricklayer. He didn't say, I wish I was Christopher Wren, but came alongside to play his part to build the great cathedral for the glory of God. Labor has been redeemed back to its created purpose. So now every single day as we step into our divine callings, every day is a day to hear, well done, 
good and faithful son or daughter and to feel his pleasure to make a difference on earth, to be an extension of God's mission to our neighbors. So now we've talked about vocation. We've talked about the gospel. We want to talk about how those two things intersect now. The gospel and how it changes our vocation. There's three, three reasons that I picked out that many people pursue their vocation. The first might be money. They might look at it and say, I want to make money. I want to make more money so I can go do more things. They might want to say, the more money I have, the more money I can travel, the bigger house that I can have. The more money I have, the better I can set up my kids for success, or the quicker that I can retire, or the more comfortable I might feel because my bank account is full, because I put my trust in my bank account. Others might say, I want to have power. I want to be the leader. I want to have control. I want to have autonomy. Things will be better when I'm in charge. I struggle to work for others, so I need to be in charge along the way. I need to have that power. The third is recognition. I want people to recognize how important I am. I'm significant. I want to be respected. I want to be honored because of my role or position. Ultimately, as you look across these three career purposes that some people have, all of them point to one thing. Right back here, self. Self-satisfaction, self-fulfillment, money, power, recognition, they all turn us back in on ourselves. Seeking our own good through work does not, again, it does not reflect God's design for work or even a basic understanding of the redemption that Christ purchased for us on the cross. When we understand that redemption that Christ purchased for us, we begin to devote ourselves to good works that are excellent and profitable for people. We don't work for ourselves anymore, but we work for the glory of God. Money, power, recognition also build us up in the sight of others. We can fall into the trap of seeking significance in the sight of men. We make people big, and we make God small. We miss the hope and the foundation of our faith, which is God, by putting our trust in money or what other people think of us. As it says in Colossians 3, through 24, the verses that were up here just before, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Jesus Christ that you are serving. Another quote from Keller that, that really stood out for me, but the gospel frees us from the relentless pressure of having to prove ourselves and secure our, our identity through work because we are already proven and secure. It also frees us from a condescending attitude towards less sophisticated labor and from envy over more exalted labor. All work now becomes a way to love the God who saved us freely and by extension, a way to love our neighbor. The purpose of our vocation is for the excellence and profit of others while ultimately the glory of God. Much like the third bricklayer, building a cathedral for the glory of the Almighty. Let's talk about how the gospel changes our heart in vocation. Some of us approach work from a position of impatience, meanness, jealousy of opportunities, of roles that others have, bragging about what we have, being proud, 
We're rude under the guise of being direct. We demand everything be our way. We're crabby. We're bitter about being treated unfairly or unequitably. You get excited about the results, no matter how unethical the activities were to get there. You don't care about the truth, just the results. You believe the worst in others. If you're paying attention to this list of things that I just went through, you might recognize a pattern. Everything I just walked through is the opposite of what the Bible defines as love in 1 Corinthians. If you look at 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Stop there for a minute. It's basically saying it doesn't matter how beautiful you speak, how great your speeches are, if you don't love others, you're just a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. I don't care how competent you are at your job. I don't care how smart you are, how you know everything. If you don't love people through your job, you're nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. If you approach work in a martyrdom kind of way, you're always supporting your team, you're always doing more. If you don't love your team through that, you're nothing. But the Bible says love is patient, it's kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Ouch. I'll own it. As I prepped this week and read this back through, I have work to do. I'm on a sanctification path like the rest of you. Man, I, I aspire to these things, but I'm not there yet. I don't know about you. It, it challenges me. We should work as a means to serve God in love and care for our neighbor. We should act with the kind of love described here in 1 Corinthians. We are no longer seeking our own good through work, but now we seek to use the skills and the circumstances that God has given us to glorify him and meet the needs of our neighbors. Abraham Kuyper, who was a prime minister of Netherlands and an influential uh, theologian, once wrote, there's not one square inch of the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. It's mine. As believers, we are called to say, in whatever square inch God has given and assigned to me, I'm called to be faithful presence in that place. That means I'm not called to simply have faith in Christ, but also to reflect his humility, his courage, his forgiveness, his patience, his love, and his desire that all should flourish according to his will for them. My prayer is that when you walk out of here today, is that if you don't know the gospel, and that's all you've been thinking about, as Alan talked about it or I talked about it today, I want you to come find somebody at the front and tell us your story. 
I'll be up here. Others will be up here ready to pray for you. We want to hear what's going on, and we want to tell you about how great a Savior Jesus is. If you don't know your vocation, I want you to know it. I want you to search for it. I want you to know what your calling is, that you know what your purpose is. What is your cathedral? What are you doing to glorify God and love your neighbor? And I want you to live that purpose out on a daily basis in a way that reflects that you have been changed by the gospel. Thank you.